next major version of Rails is just around the corner, and since this is episode 400, I thought it would be nice to explore what's coming in Rails 4.0. Now at the time of this recording, there's no gem pre-release yet, so we're going to have to try it out through the master branch. So I'll run git cloned and pull that down. And then let's go into that directory and then run the bundle command to install its dependencies. By the way, Rails 4 requires Ruby 193 or higher. Now if you get this error message complaining about the version of bundler, you may need to run the gem install bundler command and add the double dash pre option. And I'll try the bundle command again. And it looks like that succeeded. Now we can create a new Rails 4 application. We can do that by running the rail ties bin rails command and then creating a new application, let's call it a blog, and then telling it to use edge rails or the uh, master git branch. And I'm also going to specify the Postgres database because there are some Postgres features that I wanna show you. All right, so it looks like that succeeded in creating our Rails application. Now, once a pre-release version of the gem of Rails 4 is released, then this will become much easier. You just do something like gem install Rails double dash pre, and then after that, you would uh, just do Rails new like you would normally, and that'll create a new Rails 4 application. Now, if you want to create a new Rails 3.2 application, while you have the Rails 4 pre-release, you can do that by specifying the Rails version like this before you pass any other options to it when you're running a gem command. Okay, so now that we know how to create a new Rails 4 application, let's check it out. Now before I get into any new features, I want to set up the database, so I'm going to go into my database YAML config file and delete the username entry into here so that it's able to connect to my uh, Postgres database. And then I'll run the rakedb create command to set up that database. By the way, I covered uh, setting up Postgres in more detail in episode 342. Next, I want to generate some scaffolding so that we have something to work with. Uh, let's call it article and give it a name and a content text type and also a published on date type. Now, the first thing I wanna show you in Rails 4 is support for native data types in Postgres. And I wanna show you two types here, although a lot more are supported array and age store. So array, we could just store in let's say a string type column and we can let's say have a properties column on here as well. And that's going to be an age store type. So here's a migration file that was generated, and to get this tags column to be an array, you just pass in an array option, assuming that you're using Postgres as your database, and that will be a native array type in Postgres. And next, to get HStore working, what we can do is call execute, and then pass in create extension, HStore, and that will uh, set it up for you so that you're able to add HStore type columns. Now running rakedb migrate, it will create that table for us. And you might notice that running migrations in Rails 4 are not quite as noisy when using Postgres as they were before because now it only shows warning messages instead of all of the log messages. Okay, so let's check out how these data types work in the console. First, I'll create a new article and give it a name. Now for the tags, we can pass in a Ruby array into this and it will be converted into a Postgres native array automatically for us. And for the properties, we can pass in a Ruby hash and that will be again converted into a Postgres hstore automatically behind the scenes. And you can see if we fetch that article, the tags attribute and the properties attribute are both an array and hash values so we can interact with it through that. While it's true you could do something similar, this was serializing a text column. Uh, this allows you to interact with it in much more efficient ways with Postgres. I encourage you to check out episode 345 for further details on how I use HStore. 
Next, let's explore some of the other new features in Active Record, starting with the all method. This is now an Active Record relation instead of returning an array of the results. I really like this because it's now lazy loaded and only triggers a database query when it needs to. It also gets rid of the need for the scoped method, so it replaces that functionality and the scoped method is now deprecated. Now, if you do need the old functionality where you're returning an array and fetching the results, you can call to a on any active record relation and that will do the same thing as all used to do. Another new method that goes along with this is load, which will uh, trigger the query on the database but return an active record relation instead of an array. So this is useful if you uh, want to trigger the query maybe for some kind of caching but still want to return a relation for some reason. Another method I'm glad to see is none. And this will return an active record relation, which will just return no records and not end up hitting the database. This is useful if you want for some reason to never return records, but allow other uh, scopes to be called on it. Speaking of other scopes, another useful one is that you can call not on the where scope now, and that will invert it. So let's say the name is not hello. And this didn't end up finding the record because we have this not where condition on it. Really handy. Another new addition is that the order clause now accepts a hash so we can pass in the column name and the order that we want it to be sorted in like this. And we can pass in multiple columns as well. The next thing is something that I've wanted for a really long time and that is the ability to mutate the relation using a bang method of the scope. Let me show you. Let's say I'm setting a relation object to a variable and let me use uh, semicolons here so that we don't inspect this relation object and trigger the database query. And uh, then I want to add some more conditions to this scope. So you might call where on this, but this is going to return a new relation object. So you're going to have to replace the variable like this and that gets a little bit ugly. Instead, new in Rails 4 is a bang version where you can just call where with the exclamation mark and that will allow you to mutate the current relation object. So this way, if we inspect this object now, we can see it performs that where find uh, correctly here. Another great method is find by. You probably know the dynamic finders. You can pass in a column name here, but that relies on method missing and the implementation isn't very clean for this. Instead, uh, Rails 4 introduces this just find by method where you can pass a hash into this. And I like this a lot better because it doesn't require something like method missing to be implemented. And there's also the find or create by or find or initialize by. And I encourage you to use these instead of the other ones. The find or create by name method, the dynamic one is deprecated, but find by name wouldn't be deprecated yet. But I wouldn't be surprised if it is in the future because these are a lot nicer. Something else I'm really excited about is a new module called Active Model Model. Let's say I want to make a new class, let's call it message, and I want it to maybe be able to edit it through a form, kind of behave like Active Record, but not save it to the database. I can just include this module called Active Model Model, and then I can create adder accessors for any method that I want to include on here. And then I can maybe add some validations and so on, like I would an active record, but on just a plain old Ruby class that's not backed by a database. And then I can instantiate a new message and pass in any attributes that I wanted to hear. And this uh, allows me to interact with them like I would an active record, but just not backed by the database. So this was possible to do with active model before, but it required a lot of including of different modules and adding a couple methods. It's just a lot easier now with this one module. It's especially great if you just want to pass a custom class into a form four call or something. 
Now let's shift gears away from the console and take a look at this welcome page which is displayed when we start up our Rails server. It looks pretty much the same as our Rails 3 application, however this is now dynamically generated by Rails internals. This means never again do you have to remove that public index.html file in your application. Yay! Next, let's take a look at the gem file. Uh, these three lines here, these gems are just there because we're using edge rails instead of a rails gem, and we're using Postgres here. Now this sprockets rails gem is new, it's just part of a sprockets refactoring to move part of it out into a separate gem. And then there's also the turbolinks gem, which I covered in detail in episode 390. Now even though TurboLinks is enabled by default here, it's pretty easy to remove if you want to. Here's how. You just remove the gem from the gem file, and then under the app application.js file, remove the TurboLinks line here. And then finally, in the application layout file, you might want to remove the mentions of the data TurboLinks track uh, attribute. By the way, this attribute is something new that's been added since I covered it in episode 390. I believe it's just that TurboLinks will then track these assets and reload the entire page if they change. Next, let's check out our controller and see what was generated by the scaffolding because quite a bit has changed here. First of all, the scaffolding now loads the model record using a before filter, except it's not called a before filter anymore, it's called a before action. It does exactly the same thing, and you can still use before filter if you want to, that's not going to be deprecated anytime soon. However, before action seems to be the new convention. The next thing of note is that the update action now responds to either a put request or now a patch request. And a patch just seems to fit the behavior of an update action more clear, which is I guess why they changed it to patch. And I wouldn't be surprised if put goes away eventually, although that'll probably be a ways off. Also, the update attributes method has been renamed to just update. Although you can still use update attributes without any deprecation warning, it does the same thing. Although update seems a little uh, more concise. And then finally in this controller, we have our support for strong parameters built right in. And I'm really glad to see this because uh, it seems like a much better solution than adder accessible, which I covered in detail in episode 371. So I encourage you to check that out for more information on strong parameters. And of course, this means that in our model, we no longer need that adder accessible line. However, if you do want that functionality back, you can add it through the protected attributes gem. Now while I'm here inside of the model, I want to make a quick note about scopes. Uh, previously, you could just pass in another scope as a second argument, maybe like an order clause like this. But you now need to pass in a callable object as a second argument, such as a lambda. This is because before it was just too common to accidentally put something dynamic, such as the current time, in the second argument. And this just prevents that problem because this will always be evaluated at runtime. Now you probably notice that in the controllers and models directory, there's a new directory in here called concerns. And this is designed for you to add modules, which you can then include in your models to help uh, reduce uh, large models. However, I'm not too much of a fan of this approach. I prefer alternative solutions such as service objects. And I explain more about this in episode 398. For me personally, I'll probably remove this concerns directory in new Rails applications and only add it back as I need it if it seems like a good fit. All right, so we've got our models and controllers down. Now what about views? Quite a bit has been added here. Let me do a few things inside of the form template. Now there are a lot of new helper methods that can be used in generating form fields. My favorites have to do with collections. Uh, for example, you're probably familiar with the uh, collection select helper method. 
So we can do collection select here to handle an association, but there's now uh, collection checkboxes and collection radio buttons. So we can use this to handle associations. Uh, checkboxes can be used on a many-to-many -many association, for example, or we can use it on an array attribute such as our tags. You might do it like this, where we pass in our attribute name. It would be like category IDs or something if it's an association, but here tags work on our array as attribute, and then we can pass in the uh, collection, let's say Ruby, Rails, and Design as the tags, and then the name and ID are just going to be the same thing, it's just going to be the name of the tag, just to keep this simple. So now when we edit or create an article, we have these checkboxes which we can use to uh, customize which ones should be set for that collection, and it just makes many-to-many -many associations a lot easier to handle with checkboxes using that single helper method. Now there are also helper methods for the different HTML5 input types. For example, we have this date select field which we can change to a date field, and that'll be represented as a text field in some browsers such as Safari, but other browsers and devices will handle it with a smart date selector. For example, in Chrome here, we have our publish on date field, and this now has a triangle which we can pull down to select a date using a calendar. Really awesome. And if you view the HTML source, you can see that this is just a simple input element with the type set to date. So Rails isn't doing anything fancy here. It'll depend on the browser on what the behavior will be. Another feature I'm glad to see in the view is a support for a Ruby template handler. So for example, I can rename this edit template to be a .ruby extension at the end. Now this is different than .rb extension because there was a conflict with the mustache templating. And then I can just use plain Ruby code in here and whatever string is generated is going to be what is returned and rendered out in the view template. So I can do a content tag for h1, let's say edit, and let's append on this rendering the form template partial. And then going to our edit form, it still works, it's just generated using straight Ruby. So this might have limited uses for HTML, but I think it's really useful for handling uh, JSON formats. I go into further detail in episode 379 on this. Now another new feature of views in Rails 4 is the Cache Digest, also known as Russian Doll Caching. I won't be going into detail on that here. I explain it more in episode 387, so I encourage you to check that out if you're interested. Okay, so that pretty much covers it for the views. Uh, next, let's check out the routes file because there are some notable changes in there. Probably the biggest feature here is the addition of concerns, and the way that works is it helps you remove some duplication in your routes. For example, let's say I have a nested resource under here for comments under articles, but I also have another resource called photos which can also have comments and so on, and uh, we might want to remove this duplication of the comments and nesting. So we can move this into a concern, and we can just call this concern, let's call it commentable, and then put this uh, behavior, the duplication, in a block here, and then we can add that behavior to resources by calling concerns on this, and then passing in that commentable concern. So we could just do this to whatever other concern or other resources that we want that behavior. I could see this being really useful if you have a complicated route set with a lot of APIs and with duplication between them and you want to help remove some of that. Still, I would be a little bit hesitant in using this for simple cases like in this example. 
All right, let's move on and talk about the match method. You probably know this as a way to support any type of request, whether it be uh, get post, put delete, and so on. And this is actually no longer supported. So I think they're doing this to encourage you to specify exactly what type of request that you want to accept. So you're not just doing wildcard matches all the time. So you would want to change this to probably a get request or maybe a post if you want to accept that or the newly supported patch verb uh, and so on. Now this next thing I want to show you is really cool, by far my favorite feature involving routes, and that is um, if you supply any constraints to a route, then that is automatically going to turn into a default attributes when you generate the URL. For example, let's say we specified the protocol here, and this is going to be, let's say, HTTPS, and let's also specify the subdomain, and let's make that uh, test. Now before, if you would call foo URL in your Rails application, it wouldn't include any of those constraints, but now it generates it with the proper protocol and subdomain. So I'm really excited to see this. I'm glad it's finally implemented. Okay, I've got just a few more things left to show you. Uh, let's start in the application config file. Uh, in here, you can pass in a call to console and pass in a block into here. And this block will be evaluated when you're loading the Rails environment through the console. So you can add some specific console configuration in here, such as changing to pry if you want. So you can configure the console to use pry like this, and you'll also need to add pry to your gem file if you want to do this. By the way, I covered pry further in episode 280. Next, I want to show you the uh, production config file. Specifically, this configuration, uh, eager load, is set to true. And this is going to eager load your entire Rails application and all the classes instead of using auto-loading, which makes it thread safe. Now, previously, this behavior was enabled using an option called thread safe, but that has since been deprecated and is encouraging you to use this behavior. Um, I explained this more in episode 365, so if you're interested in threading and how that works in Rails 4, check that out. Now we're at the last thing I want to show you here, and that is the test directory. So this is now uh, structured a little differently. Instead of having unit and functional directories, we have controllers, models, and so on. So, so it's a little bit more structured like our spec is. Also, this now uses mini-test, even though you can't see it here. These, this active support test case class inherits from mini-test in Rails 4 now, which is pretty cool. Finishing up, I wanted to show you the new look of the exception page in development. It's a redder, making it more apparent that an exception has occurred. And also, if it's a routing error, it uh, shows you a table of routes for your application, which can be pretty handy. Another way to get the routes information in development is to go to the rails info path, and that will uh, display that same routing table. And also, you can toggle in between routes and the server properties. Pretty cool. Well, that brings us to the end of this look at Rails 4. There are so many great features, but I didn't cover everything here, so I encourage you to uh, check out this excellent post by Santiago Passerino, where he compiles a long list of various links of new additions in Rails 4. Now, there are several things that were removed from Rails 4 as well, such as active resource, uh, model observers, page and action caching, and uh, even disabling uh, rack cache by default, but all of those can easily be brought back just through including gems. Also, one feature in particular that I didn't cover here is Action Controller Live, which is a great feature and I plan to cover it in detail in a future episode. I thought it was big enough to deserve its own. And one quick note for those expecting a, a queuing API with asynchronous mailing support, that ended up getting pulled out of Rails 4, but maybe we'll see that in the future sometime. 
So, this brings us to the end of episode 400. I don't have anything big planned like a contest this time. Probably for episode 500, I'll do something big. But I do want to leave you guys off with a bit of a challenge. For this new year, 2013, I encourage you to learn something new that's unrelated to Rails that you feel will stretch your mind in interesting ways. Uh, This could be a new programming language or framework, or learn more about graphic design, or maybe even something completely unrelated to technology. The reason for this challenge is that it's easy for us to get comfortable in our development environment, and trying new things is a great way to exercise our mind. I believe this will make us better Rails developers in the end. So, that's my challenge. Hope you guys have had a great new year so far, and thanks for watching.